This is a Wool Observatory podcast. Welcome to another episode of Star Stuff, a podcast where we talk about science and space and everything in between, and sometimes none of that. And I'm Cody Half Moon. Of course, we're joined by our co-host, Haley Osborne. Hi, Haley. Hi, everybody. And Kyler Keene, an astronomer and cosmologist. Can I say both? Sure. Sure. Okay. But cosmologist is the fun one uh, here at Lowell. And you've been on the podcast before. Uh, so thank you for joining us. Thank you. Looking forward to it. And his friend and colleague, as I wrote it, Joe Lama. Hello. Dr. Joe. Dr. Joe, hi. Hello. Um, yeah, so we're just going to chat with these guys about like who they are and why they are the way that they are and how they got here and what makes them um, the beautiful nerds that we know and love today. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and start with a super brief background. Um, in a few sentences, Kyler, could you tell us what you studied and what you do today? Yeah. So I studied physics in college. I started as an undergrad. I didn't know what I wanted to major in in college. And my older brother was a physicist. So I thought, yeah, I'll tick that box. Sure. <laughs> cool. Then... Went on after that to graduate school, focused on particle astrophysics. Mm. And so the degree was was technically physics, but it was in the uh, physics and astronomy joint department, and that led me to uh, doing uh, observational astronomy, sort of mixed with some particle physics, and then building instruments, and then that got me to the job where I'm now doing managing projects and people in the technology group at Lowell. So I, I have a question. I've heard this a few times. There's people either say like astronomy or they say observational astronomy. And I've heard this. Is there an astronomy that's not observational? There's theoretical astronomy. Yeah, so some people would say there's astronomy and astrophysics. Mm -hmm. What is the, what's the difference? The difference is if you're sat next to someone on a plane and you want to have a conversation, <laughs> you say you're an astronomer. Oh, okay. If you don't want to talk to the person, you say you're an astrophysicist. An astrophysicist. <laughs> is this like the um, nobody likes ethic professors kind of thing? <laughs> they get fired of it real fast. Um, and Haley, um, just to like show off a little bit, I know that you, your background's in physics, like hard math physics. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So my background's in physics. I, um, was close to getting a, a degree in math, but, um, yeah. that ended up not working out. So yeah. I have a very beefy math minor is what I tell people. <laughs> yeah. When I was in college, I had to only take like two or three more classes to go from a physics degree to adding a math degree. I didn't actually, I got a, my second degree is actually in classics. classics. So I didn't add the extra math classes. I did something completely different. Wow. Classics? Yes. Like? Greek and Roman history and really? civilization. And, yeah. No, I'm kidding. I was a, a lit classic, uh, a, 
that was my thing. It's also why I wasn't particularly good at physics as an undergraduate, because I was doing a bunch of other stuff instead of studying, well, at least instead of studying physics. Yeah. I, um, I was decently good at math, but I hated it. Tested out of math. I did, like, the extra, like, college-level classes in high school and everything solely for the purpose of like, I never wanted to do math again. Um, and so when I went to, when I went to college, I found the, like an associate, you know, to a professor who was just doing a class in his free time. And my final was for us to bring a pine cone to class and sign a piece of paper. And I was super happy about it. Uh, math is not for everyone. Oh, I'm so not. bad at math. Oh, it's like, so hard. You're bad at math? To quote Barbie, math is hard. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Math is very hard. Yeah. Isn't physics just a math class? It, it was weird when I took calculus. So it was in their infinite wisdom, the people who set up the curriculum decided, oh, you need to have calculus first, and then you can go and do the physics course mm -hmm. that uses the calculus. You'd think that would work, but when I took the calculus, just from the math department, it was so abstract, I didn't understand it. I'm like, what? why am I doing this integral? How does it work? Mm -hmm. But then when, as soon as I saw in my physics course, I was like, oh, yeah. it's, I'm integrating the trajectory over this it, and it made so much more sense and that's why I would get C's in math and A's in physics so is physics just applied math? it is but yeah, I think so I, I agree it was math was so abstract mm -hmm. and physics was in high school in the UK where I'm from they tried to keep them as separate as possible and I really struggled with that but when I went to university, it was exactly like you just said. You do all this abstract calculus in mathematics. Mm -hmm. Then you go to the physics course, and it's just applying that. And that made so much more sense, and it made it way easier. Yeah. So how did you get... So it was your brother, yep. Tyler, that got yep. you into physics. Well, I, I liked math and science when I was in you know, grade school and high school. I was really good at it there. And then I thought, I knew I wanted to do something science-y, but whether it was chemistry or biology or whatever, I didn't know. So it really was my brother who was, like I said, my, my older brother was the physics major, so I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll try that out, see how it goes. Mm -hmm. And what got you into... I had a great math teacher in high school. And There's so, always one teacher. Yeah, that it's that, exactly. So I'm always convinced that had I had a great biology teacher, I'd mm -hmm. probably be a biologist right now, but I had a great mm -hmm. math teacher. And so like Haley, I went and did a math degree. Mm. Uh, so my degree was also not astronomy. So you've got two astronomers here, neither of whom have astronomy degrees. Mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> so I did math and theoretical physics were my degrees in university. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I know uh, similar with Haley. I remember I think it was our first podcast and I kept saying like, oh yeah, it's like, because uh, I didn't know, I was just, they were here, and I was like, oh, uh, you're, like, basically an astronomer, right? That's, like, your past. Like, I'm in physics. <laughs> <laughs> like, there's a tie over there eventually, but it's not like you, you know, you get, I don't think there are many majors in astronomy. Hmm. You have these math paths, and they cross with the stars at some point. Yeah, it's funny because a lot of my mm -hmm. friends in undergrad were astronomers. St. Andrews did offer uh, an astronomy degree, but I didn't know you could do that as a thing when I went to <laughs> university and all my friends turned out to be astronomers. And I think that's kind of one of the ways that pushed me into it. Yeah, I had a great astronomy professor. I took it as an extracurricular 
And I loved it so much. I stayed a few semesters just to help her grade papers. And she was really pushing me to go to a, a university that had astronomy. But in Texas, it was very limited. There was basically one school and it was quite expensive. Um, mm-hmm. And in Texas, you don't really consider leaving Texas. So I was like, well, I guess I'm done. <laughs> I guess I'll major in <laughs> yeah. English. Yeah. Joe, theoretical physics, what, what did that entail for you? Yeah, theoretical physics was, it was a lot. Um, it was a lot of quantum mechanics, a lot of special relativity, things I've buried deep in the back of my brain <laughs> that I hope to never, <laughs> never have to deal with again. Um, I'm curious about theoretical physics because, um, I don't know if we've actually said this on the podcast, but John Compton is my partner and he has, he got his like, major masters in theoretical physics and I give him crap about it all the time because he'll like leave knives upside down in the dishwasher and I'm like theoretical physics like what could theoretically happen (laughs) I don't know what theoretical physics is but I feel like it's theoretical enough it can be anything it's very abstract yeah yeah it's It's like the arts of science exactly yeah yeah so what are like, lots of cute little diagrams. Yeah, you know, you have some quantum field theory where you have to integrate over yeah. all possible outcomes of an event. And yeah, it was, it was intense. It was uh, an intense few years. Mm-hmm. One of our scientists here, Stephen Levine, um, was talking to me about that. So I was like, oh, so you're a scientist at the LDT. He was like, well, theoretical scientist. I'm like, all right, we're doing not, not today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what is, like, how can you, like, what's a class that you take? So like blank 101, what is a class that you would sign up for if you were doing theoretical physics? It would be quantum. Quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics. Yeah. Quantum mechanics. Yeah. So I had yeah, two semesters of that as an undergraduate. I had to take another two as a, in, in graduate school. And then because I was doing the particle physics track, I took another semester of quantum mechanics. And then and then there was a quantum field theory course. Yeah, so that sounds very similar. Yeah, so it was... Yeah. six semesters in total four in grad school on particle physics and quantum mechanics and that's fascinating yeah drawing pretty loop diagrams yeah there was a a british um i mean he's a scientist but almost just a performer where he did these like big uh celebrities would come listen to his talks and he talked about like chaos theory and I don't know his name. I can't remember. There's a few of them. Yeah. There's a few of them. Okay. Um, And it's, it's so mind boggling, but that's exactly what this podcast is for is the mind boggling weird stuff. Uh, Yeah. Kyler's already blown my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Change topics. Um, Haley usually is, takes pity on me and tries to explain these things nicely, but, um, but really the outcome of this is we took, we went from the really complicated, decided it was too complicated, and went to the much more simple world of astronomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, astronomy simple. From what astronomy I do, absolutely. It's very much classical physics. What, what is it? It's just, I look for exoplanets, so it's all, you know, Newton's laws of motion. It's mm-hmm. all very straightforward. It's much easier than quantum mechanics. So. Oh, okay. And, uh, I mean, I know the stuff, Kylie, for people who haven't listened to the, your episode, if they're listening to this episode, can you give like a brief description of your studies here? So here I, I focus on a couple of different things. So there's the instrumentation being in charge of the um, engineering group, but some of my own research is in photonics and we're trying to basically eliminate the background noise that's coming from the atmosphere. If we can see through it, we can see stars and galaxies and stuff like that. 
So one of these uh, is actually a pretty, the, the math behind the photonics is actually quite complicated, but just building a device that can eliminate the um, light coming from the atmosphere is, I, I'm focused much more on the engineering. I'm glad I don't have to do any of that math anymore. I'm and done that's with it. dark. This this is my um, it, this is my technology development project. I'm also working with the dark energy survey. Dark energy, not dark matter. Right. Yeah. So that is that's where the cosmology comes in, and that's uh, basically the how the universe as a whole got to be where it is, and it actually relies a lot on the smallest and the earliest times in the universe when when the universe was very small. It, it gets really gets into general relativity and particle physics and stuff like that. So there's a lot of math there too. Again, fortunately, I'm. I'm was one of the uh, instrument builders and, and observers on this project. I don't actually have to do all the theory behind it. We've got, I've got other collaborators to do that part of it. Yeah. yeah um, and Haley, I know your interest is in, or I, I mean, I know one of your passions is black holes. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the physics of that, if they're, if we understand any of it. Yeah, I, I really enjoy, like, I, I study black holes in like my free time because uh, what I did my research in is actually what Kyler does. I did, I worked in a photonics lab for three years. So um, that's like my background, but I think black holes are just so cool and so fascinating. So um, I've done a lot of, done a lot of like independent research on it, but I don't actually have like a, uh, like a formal education in it. And so photon lab, you're just throwing photons at each other to see what would happen? Um, I was actually throwing photons at uh, liquid uh, carbon disulfide to see what happened. So, so photonics, the word is sort of by analogy to electronics, where you know, we understand how electrons or current moves through wires and stuff like that. And this is doing the same sorts of things, but with light instead of with electricity. Yeah, Developing exactly. New technologies and stuff like that. Cool. <laughs> Sounds intimidating. Uh, but that's not theoretical. That's hard. Yeah. That real. Right. You yeah. do that's a thing. like engineering stuff. Thing. Yes. Okay. And then you measure the thing that happened. Right. And that's how I understand science. It's like, oh, I think this is going to happen. I'm going to bang these things together. Oh, it didn't happen that way. Cool. So End there, of paper. Yeah. There is certainly a lot of, you know, we, we do understand all the, the math behind it. And mm -hmm. That there's still you know advancements being made on the theoretical side, but that's that's not where I'm focused. Like I said, I'm, right, right. I'm in the lab, you know, tweaking micrometers and stuff, and then fire up the laser and then. So you guys took, uh, you you took quantum physics. Am yeah. I saying that right? You took quantum physics one hundred and one yeah. when yeah. you were nineteen, and you mm -hmm. said heck no. So, <laughs> <laughs> tell me about quantum physics. What what about it is is mind boggling? And it's can you just like what would be a course description? Everything is mind-boggling. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's so counterintuitive, and it, it all comes down to we we can't measure the position and velocity of something at the same time, or we can't. Mm -hmm. So th there's inherent uncertainties in any measurement we make, even if it's as perfect as we can get it. The universe just isn't. It's the universe has sort of it's quantized. There's you can't sort of even measure. A, a uniform or a continuous distribution of energies or time and things like there are there's smallest units of energy there's smallest units of time so you can't measure anything smaller than those 
my units, and that's and everything else sort of flows from that. My the fact that time is a unit that you can measure and change right. and manipulate already, I stop. Yeah, like and I yeah. and talked about it, and I know Haley's probably you're probably rolling your eyes. I just it's one of those things that it's like I can't fathom really because it's and I've always told myself like time is a human construct. I can wake <laughs> up whenever I want, um, but the fact that it's not right, right. Yeah, I agree. And for me, it was. There was no, I couldn't see the application to the real world. And I really right. sought that out when I was doing my degree. I think I, mm-hmm. I really struggled to just be, this is the theory of quantum mechanics or whatever it was. But I really like the, and this applies directly. You can see the result of this, you know, in this mm-hmm. system where you see this planet going around this star or whatever. That's what I like about astronomy actually because there's applications of quantum mechanics there's applications of condensed matter physics there's applications of basically Mm -hmm. classical mechanics Every, every course i took is relevant for astronomy i actually have a question for uh you guys kyler joe um so when people like ask me what i do they assume that I do astronomy and the way I've been explaining it and tell me if you agree with this or not is um, like astronomy is applied physics and physics is applied math. Would you agree with that statement? I agree with that. And I certainly use that analogy as well. I think (laughs) maybe pure astronomers maybe wouldn't say that, but I think someone who comes from a more theoretical background. (laughs) Yeah. I certainly empathize with that. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cause yeah, my, my mom's so funny. She tries so hard to understand what I do and she tells people I'm an astrologer and I'm like, okay, first off, I think you meet astronomer and second off, no, <laughs> that is not what I do. Yeah. yeah. My favorite joke is telling people like, oh yeah, I know a, a cosmologist here on campus. Does he do nails? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's great. <laughs> Departments of Department of Psychics and Astrology. That's right. Yes, psychics, astrology, cosmetology. You got it all. all. (laughs) I think that is is one of the really cool things about astronomy is we go the whole spectrum of observational, instrumentation, theory. You know, there's very few other disciplines where you can do this whole range of Mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know, like, astronomy as a word, I know, like, astra, like, astra, right? It's... mm -hmm literally translates to star but astronomy as just an overarching science is just the observation of our universe is that right i know some people are particular about being an astronomer being a planetary scientist i know like for example joe with exoplanets you're not studying star but you're using stars to study the other things right it's actually quite funny uh exoplanet scientists have gone full circle they all started as stellar astronomers. Right. Then they moved into exoplanets. Okay. And now when we're trying to find the smallest exoplanets, uh, we now really care about what the star is doing. So, so they, they've gone full circle. Mm-hmm. They've gone from stellar to exoplanets and now back to stellar astronomy. So you're, are you looking, because I'm assuming for exoplanets, you're looking mostly at gas giants because that's what you can see. The, are you looking for other planets? Yeah, the goal is to find an Earth 2.0. How? Yeah, so you've got to measure this tiny, tiny motion coming from the star that results from the planet orbiting around it. And we're doing that here at Lowell. Um, so, no we're, yeah, we're trying, we're very close, I think, to finding, sure. you know, an Earth, <laughs> an Earth sun analog. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah. Where? 
That's top secret. We'll try to publish this uh, podcast before I'm hunted down. So I have asked this question of, of everybody because I, uh, I'm basically using this podcast as a way to figure out if, have you read, um, have, what sci-fi books? Have you read The Martian? I've watched the movie. you watched the movie. <laughs> Do you guys read a lot of sci-fi? I don't, I'll be honest. You don't? I don't. Are you like Haley? Yeah. Are you I just a straight so. math nerd? <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> I, I read a lot more when I was younger. Um, and that's, I think that's what really got me into to science. I, I was really? a big sci-fi and fantasy nerd. I read like all the Dungeons and Dragons. You were a D&D nerd. Was? What? When are we starting I a campaign? Excuse night. me. Seriously. Dude, let's do it. <laughs> I'm in only one campaign right now. We should fix that. Oh yeah. my gosh, it's so fun. So you started with a little D&D in, in, yeah. in the basement playing? So I, I, I've i been playing for 40 years. What class are you? But, um, so I don't remember my some of my first characters, but my brothers were a little bit older than me. They were like 9 and 10, and so they got Dungeons & Dragons in the early 80s and I was five years old and I thought these pictures of dragons were cool so that was so my, my first adventures were with them mm-hmm. and and that just got me that was sort of the my creative side and it mm-hmm. still is to this day um mm-hmm. so it's, it was less about the science and more just the like always be using my brain always be thinking whether it's you know creative you know coming up with a new design of a dungeon or it's you know now I, I'm creative in a slightly different way. And, you know, how am I going to build this new instrument yeah. at work for the telescope? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't do as much reading anymore, but I did. My, my favorite book growing up was Ender's Game. Oh, my God. I loved Ender's Game. I it's love that still, book. Yeah. And, and it's, it's the like this little kid, but he's just like off the charts brilliant. And like, mm-hmm. is it too arrogant to say like I kind of relate to that. No, yeah, like he kind of <laughs> oh, stuck yeah. out or yeah. didn't entirely fit in and uh, it was such a good book. I feel like a lot of kids could relate to Ender mm-hmm. in different oh, ways. So that, that was, so that was, had a big impact on me. Like this, this is, the, the, especially the, the science and even the sort of fantastical science sci-fi aspects of it were, mm-hmm. were really interesting to me. So I, I would Even be, the siblings. Yeah. Ender's siblings yeah. is... Especially because, like, yeah. I read it at the era of, like, the internet coming out and everything. Because mm-hmm. I'm in my 30s now. So, like, when I was reading Ender's Game, the internet and chat rooms were really big. And so it was like they changed an entire world from a chat room. Mm-hmm. So it was, like, empowering yeah. in a way. I know they were the baddies, but... <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I mean, I just had a dream last night um, that I was hanging out with Isaac Asimov. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Sci-fi obsessed and Leonard Nimoy. Um, I sci-fi just lives in my brain, rent-free all the time. So um, I, I will say that my my sci-fi, like classical sci-fi, um, reading is a bit spotty. Like I didn't actually read any Asimov until just a couple of years ago. Like some mm-hmm. I, I managed. It took me a while. Down. It was difficult to get into mm-hmm. Asimov for me. But yeah, but then there were other things like Orson Scott Card. I would you know read yeah. all of his stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think it's Haley. I, I was, was going to call say, you out, Haley. 
<laughs> I was literally just going to say, you guys are talking about these books. I'm staring at them on my bookshelf right now nice. because I've owned them for years and I still have not read them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I read Ender's Game. It was actually um, a freshman required reading in high school. So I read that. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. And then years and years later, I found out it was a series. And so I bought the series mm-hmm. and I still haven't read them. <laughs> Um, Ender's Game is certainly the best of it of all of his books. So yeah. I also mm-hmm. read Ender's Game in college, so I came you late. Did. I came late to the game. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah I'm seeing some similarities because um, we give Haley a hard time because we're always like get on tangents about like Star Trek or Star Wars, and she's like, "Are you two? Oh yeah, I just yeah. <laughs> seriously, yeah." <laughs> Nothing. I just like my family wasn't super into sci-fi. They were more into like fantasy. And so it's really cool talking with you, Kyler, because we came into this at totally different angles. But like at, I worked in your lab, you know, <laughs> so like we crossed paths later. So I think that's really cool because like I came in from like in high school, I was a mathlete, you know, mm-hmm. and so that's the angle I went from. And then I got into sci-fi later. But, but by the time I got into it, d and <laughs> Is what I'm gathering. Is that the common thread? Oh, yeah. Do you have to be a D and D nerd to work at LOL? <laughs> I would say not because I only became a D and D nerd about a year ago. Really? Um, yeah, thanks to Kyla. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, converted. Yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> so, what do you like about D and D? It's, so I'm very similar to Haley. I think the fantasy mythical side of things. Okay. So like my jam mm-hmm. as a kid was Narnia, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia, things right. like oh, yeah. even the Harry Potter series, you know, mm-hmm. all that magic mm-hmm. and, yeah. and that sort of thing. So yeah. yeah, I definitely, that's my relation to it. For, for me, it's the, mm-hmm. the creative outlet. Um, yeah. I, I like doing a lot of stuff on my own, um, creating worlds and adventures and stuff like that. But there's also the collaborative storytelling aspect yes. of it that I really like. Yeah. You know, involving other people in, in my imagination. It's it's a lot like improv. There's a lot of yes and going mm-hmm. on in, in the gaming. So that's that's something I have a lot of fun with. Plus, there's a lot of just other chatter going on. You know, there's the in-game stuff, but there's also, you know, yeah. you're, you're playing with your friends. You talk about all sorts of other stuff mm-hmm. um, as you're gaming. I mean, I've mm-hmm. done this, like I said, started with my, my family, with my brothers, but then, you know, friends in high school, college, grad school, even now. I um I was actually talking because of course as you probably know John is also a huge D and D nerd. We we're talking about mm-hmm. the collaborative storytelling part of uh, role RPG games, and um, he was saying that it's like one of the most ancient ways of storytelling. Mm-hmm. So like uh, the way people used to make and create stories that we still hear of today was passed around, and then they started mm-hmm. flipping a rock. It's kind of like a dive, like, oh, that didn't happen. And the next person explains what happened instead. Mm-hmm. And so like, yeah. I think that's so neat and yes. it's so ingrained in our social structures. It's um, a ton of fun, too, to try and dig into something and see if you can, you know, trip you up. Or yeah. I personally get a huge kick out of that. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah. um, creative problem solving. You can even get into, you know, moral and ethical dilemmas in real life. It, so there's a lot of... Just like any good sci-fi or fantasy, it's, you know, what how it relates to the real world is really the, the key to what makes it interesting and enjoyable. So applying it to the real world, I'm yeah. hearing that again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, in a way, it's, it's, I mean, it's very different from science and math where in principle there is a right answer, but it, when the answer isn't known yet, you've got to be really creative to try to, 
yeah. solve it. So that there's a lot of creativity in, mm-hmm. in my, my scientific work as well. Yep. One of the classes I took in college was a math course, and it was the most interesting class I've ever taken because we didn't actually learn any new math. We learned how to apply the math we already knew in like new and creative ways. So like that kind of stuff, I think, is really important because a lot of people like they come in from the math perspective and whatnot and everything's like very rigid. But I I really liked how that that class kind of taught us to look at math a different way, you know? Yeah. Did they teach you how to do your taxes? Uh, no. <laughs> That's the only class I was missing in my higher education. Go right. Overseas, Same. It's, it's dead easy. In yep. Australia, it took me 10 minutes to do my taxes. Really? Yeah. So they don't do that thing where they're like, guess how much you owe me. No. The UK, right. The UK, they know how much they paid you. They yeah. know how much you owe. Well, that's the thing. They know in America, too. Because you'll get <laughs> yeah. penal- you'll get a penalty if you don't pay the right amount. It's like, if you know, can you just tell me? <laughs> right. Honestly. number. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, you're wrong. Oh, you're wrong. Here's another fee. Yeah, maybe that's right. Fee. Yeah. So I'm curious, speaking of, um, you know, I guess taxes in another country, how was science approached in the UK? Was it, did you grow up in the UK? I did grow up in the UK, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I guess... I'm not sure what you mean by the question there. So I'm curious if, um, so like here, I feel like um, for the sciences and that kind of thing, it's astronomy, in my opinion, just from an outsider perspective, it's like, uh, oh, I never considered that. Or, oh, that's really weird. Um, And there are, you as you get more into it, you learn like astronomy is huge here. Like there are so many observatories. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, there are. I mean, there is an observatory in Texas. There are two, several in Arizona mm-hmm. alone. So I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Is that is that the same in the UK? And is it um, is it a common major? Is this is science something that is pretty common a common major in the UK, or is this is astronomy an outlier? Astronomy is certainly an outlier. Is so okay. science is popular. You know, I think hopefully science is popular everywhere. That would be uh, great. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. The, the classic physics, math, biology, chemistry, you take those right up until you're 16. Um, but I don't know if you know this about the UK. It's gray and rains a yes. lot of the time. And so as someone who grew up in the UK, I didn't know astronomy was a thing you could study Ah, until I went to university. And so there's maybe a handful of institutions across the country that that offer astronomy degrees. The the university I went to did have an observatory attached to it, and it had the UK's largest optical telescope at 0.9 metres. Oh, wow. Which is, I think, as big the big is not as big as some of the outreach telescopes we have here at Lowell. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> it's always raining and it's always grey, so oh, it, that's how I became a theoretical astronomer uh, because it's all theory. It's all theory. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <see anything. laughs> exactly. So yeah. That's <laughs> interesting. It would be interesting to see how um, areas who experience like a lot more like a cloudy and rain and kind of thing how that affected their culture because there would be less astronomy right 
embedded in their cultures and ancient times right we're like here in arizona yeah. astronomy is such a huge part of all of the cultures that were here um like the navajo and the hopi i mean that's a huge part of their storytelling but it would be interesting of like indigenous cultures in places where they couldn't see the stars as often right i think if you look yeah. at astronomy in the uk say versus the u.s the U.S. is a lot more observationally focused, whereas in the U.K. it's a lot more theoretical. We are more interested in how stars work, you know, and things like mm -hmm. that. You'll find a lot more experts in, you know, I don't know, I'll pick a topic, stellar dynamos, how the interior of the sun works. Uh, you know. yeah. yeah. I think that goes back to your question about the difference between astronomy and astrophysics. Exactly. In, in addition to being, whether you want to talk to someone in the seat next to you on the plane, <laughs> astronomy really is... <laughs> observing like what is out there what what's going on yeah. astrophysics is is how is un, the under, understanding the physics and the math behind it yeah so you could yeah. take me outside tonight you know here at lowell and point at a bright star that every one of the educators will know i won't have a clue i won't be able to tell you i've heard is. about this yeah. we do an, we do a program here called meet an astronomer yeah i'm terrified and, of it yeah one of the people is like i'm worried that these little kids gonna come up and ask me like Pointing out Pollux or yeah. something. It was like, oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. No, can't happen. That's a great comment for professional yeah. astronomers. I mean, so, some came from a hobbyist background, so they know the, the sky, but a lot of astronomers, what's that star? Uh, I can tell you, you know, it's temperature and the, you know, nuclear fusion that's going on inside. <laughs> but, but I can't tell you the name of the star. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. That's me and yeah. Michelle. Yeah. So what got you into exoplanet studies? Yeah, so I started in math and theoretical physics. And as part of that, for some reason, St. Andrews was really, which was right to school, the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. And they were really into the sun. And so the mathematics group had a solar physics group. For some reason, that was in math, not in physics. It's a great star. Yeah, it is a great star. Um, we sometimes saw it in Scotland. <laughs> two times in Scotland. <laughs> that, that goes all the way back to when you know, stars and everything outside Earth was a theoretical entity. It was, exactly. it was part of math because it was, yeah. whether it was real or not, nobody knew. Right. So I, yeah. did my, I did my undergraduate focus in my final two years. My project was on the sun. And I thought, oh, this is quite cool. This is quite interesting. And so I was speaking <laughs> to one of my solar physics lecturers and said, like, oh, you should go talk to this astronomer over in the physics building who did her PhD in math on the sun and has now moved into other stars. And so I did that. I went over and we chatted and we got on great. And she offered me my PhD project in stellar physics. Wow. And then as a part of that, you know, all stellar physicists have now become exoplanet hunters. <laughs> and so yeah. I became an exoplanet scientist as a result of that. So it all stemmed from the sun. Cool. And, and you're cool. looking for Earth-like planets. Yes, yeah, that's right. That's right, yeah. And you're using Express? That's right, right? yeah. So we use yeah. the Extreme Precision Spectrograph on the LDT, um, which is one of the world's best spectrographs for measuring the Doppler motion of stars. So just like you know how an, when an ambulance goes by, right. the sound is high-pitched as it's coming towards you, then it gets lower-pitched as it goes away from mm. you. The exact same thing happens with stars as they, they, they move around the common center of mass. So you have a planet, it actually perturbs the star. And so the light gets blue shifted and red shifted the same way, high and low. And we measure that signal and it's a tiny signal. And the Express is one of the best instruments to do that. And we're talking about 
different solar systems (laughs) past the gas giants. I mean, because from what I understand, um, we actually recorded an episode with Dr. Amanda Bosch, who's here, and uh, Jennifer Han- Dr. Jennifer Hanley, and they were talking about um, how planets are formed. So, like, close to the sun, you've got, like, the really hot uh, rock, uh, rocky planets, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. then you've got your gas giants, and then sure. you've got your icy buddies. So that's just true of the solar system. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so... The first exoplanets that we found were the size of Jupiter, but they were closer to their stars than Mercury is in our solar system. And so astronomers, you know, this was back, this was in the 90s, this wasn't that long ago. Uh, People found these planets and they were like, what the heck is going on here? And it completely upturned all our theories of how solar systems formed. Because until then, you know, for the past however many centuries, we all just assumed that solar systems were all like ours. Well, you'd think that it would spit out the same way. So, like, when you spit something out, the heavier stuff doesn't go as far and the lighter stuff goes further. That's sort of what you would think, right? Right. And so one of the big Mm -hmm. unanswered questions is how do these huge Jupiter-sized planets end up so close to their star? They can't form there because it's too hot. So they have oh. to they have to form further out and migrate inwards is the current theory. Uh, and so oh. it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's definitely, it's an unanswered question. Um, yeah. So um, at the root of all of this, are you looking for aliens? Of course. Of course. <laughs> 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 no, I think, I think I don't like to use the term aliens, but we're certainly, you know, one of the obvious questions I think mankind has always wondered about is is there life out there Mm -hmm. i think you're naive to think there isn't Mm -hmm. you just have to try and find it i mean that's where we found intelligent life somewhere yeah not here somewhere there's got to be out there somewhere somewhere. (laughs) we'll find it eventually (laughs) exactly and with dark energy um is there at any point where your research would cross in any way? So cosmology and dark energy is sort of more relevant on the scales of the whole universe. Uh, um, we talked about in a previous podcast where if dark energy ends up getting stronger and stronger and stronger, it's eventually going to start to matter on the scale of solar systems and planets and individual people being ripped apart atom by atom. Um, but at this point in the universe, uh, no, they're really different scales. We worry about dark energy on, on the cosmological scales, um, bigger than galaxies and solar systems and planets are much, much smaller than that. Okay. So, um, you guys are just, uh, work friends, colleagues. It's not that your research is... I also use the express instrument, so I think that's probably where that's probably our closest overlap. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. At the LDT, and that's Express One S. That's right. His acronym before. Okay. So what I do with that, um, it's actually nothing at all what it was originally intended for, Um, but because we have this uh, high resolution spectrographs that can um, see the effects of exoplanets, it can also, if you just look at the stars themselves. You can see their chemical composition. You can see how fast they're moving. And what that will do, that will allow us to identify stars that are in groups. So what I study is stellar streams. Um, there used to be globular clusters or even small galaxies around our Milky Way, and they're being pulled apart by the gravity of the Milky Way. They're getting spaghettified. 
Mm-hmm. And so there, there are these long, thin streams now, but there, there are billions of stars out there. We want to kind of look at those over there, and we'll, we'll look at them as a group and say, oh, these all have similar chemical composition. They came from the same place, the same galaxy. They all formed together. They're moving in the same direction at the same speed. So this is a stream. All these other stars with other random properties aren't part of the stream, but we can identify these members with Express as part of this stream. So that's why I need uh, an instrument like Express to do my own research, to, to identify these stellar streams and then measure how they're moving around the galaxy. And that lets us, um, again, mostly by just Newton's laws, measure the or find the mass of the Milky Way and how that mass is distributed. And that's where dark matter comes in because a lot of the mass that we detect from the orbits of these stars around the Milky Way is mass that we can't see. It's not stars. It's not just regular gas that's being lit up or you know radiating energy. It's something else. And that's where part of the, the evidence now for, for dark matter and trying to understand what it is. Um, and even that goes all the way back to, to particle physics because it's, it's likely that dark matter is just some particle we haven't detected yet with different properties. Really? So you have to be able to understand particle physics um, quantum mechanics are all, again all these things feed back into doing astronomy mm-hmm. like you, you asked before how, why how is quantum mechanics relevant for astronomy and it's it's things like this it's the particle physics it's black holes and neutron stars we have to understand the particles interacting sort of individually and then you sort of build up from that that mathematics to the to the size of stars and galaxies mm-hmm. and things like that I do hope that we meet an intelligent life form at some point and we talk about these things because I want someone to explain why we named it spaghettification. So you talked about the Martian. Have you read Project Hail Mary? That's what I was going with that. So Project Hail Mary is just constantly, every time anyone says exoplanets, I'm like, Iridians? <laughs> I got such a kick out of that book. You read it. Yeah, because... Finally, that's yes. the whole... This podcast can end now. It's our last episode. I've been looking for anyone who's read this book. Yeah, and of course, Rocky, you know... <laughs> yeah. I don't want to... I won't give any spoilers, yeah. but the, the system he's from is one... Ammonia? We, yeah, uh, ammonia, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, they don't know about general and special relativity. They don't? That's right. They right. don't need to. Because they didn't need to know about yeah. it. Exactly. It's so interesting. But the laws of physics are universal. So Can you tell everyone about this book real quick uh, for a little oh, bit of sure. context? So the, the sun is dying yeah. and they send this crew of astronauts to or scientists mm-hmm. to try and find out why. Astrophage? Astrophage, that's yeah, right. Yeah, astrophage. So it's sucking the energy out of the sun and it's all going to this, this other star. And so they go there to find out why. And of course, the hero of the story is this high school physics teacher, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the scientists yeah. all die on the way. So it's this, this high school physics teacher is left who knows way more about physics than I, I was very impressed by his knowledge. I was going to ask, is it yeah. scientifically accurate? I certainly do not know as much physics okay. as he knew. So I was very impressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he meets this other life form who has come from another star where this is happening and has to, together they try and figure it all out. It's it's a great read. Highly recommend it. It's fascinating. And I love this book. Uh, so same author as The Martian. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned so much. Uh, we talked about it in a previous episode actually but it was about um their their system wasn't 
based on 10 digits. It was based on however many fingers they have. That's right. With things like that, I was like, man, I would never have thought of that. Oh, we do base everything off of 10, um, except for in the U.S. Mm -hmm. for some reason, (laughs) Um, because we have 10 (laughs) digits on our hands. Um, Or just about, like, different um, exoplanets around different stars and different, like, it was ammonia. Mm-hmm. Never thought that was a possible mm-hmm. thing, but apparently they're sort of finding this out on different, is it uh, Titan or maybe other moons where there's ammonia present? And every time I hear that, I'm like, oh my mm-hmm. God, there's yep. Rockies out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. But it's amazing what you can learn about science from these creative sci-fi books that are, comp- they're fiction, but um just the ability for people to like imagine these different worlds and apply what they know in science to like creating something totally different. I get a kick out of thinking if there's the equivalent of us out there somewhere doing the same sort of survey looking for Earth-sized planets. (laughs) Are we a candidate on some computer, you know, someone's data set somewhere on another system? Are they looking? Soul 3. Exactly. (laughs) Are they trying to find us our signal in their data? Or do they think we're mostly us? Right. Yeah. Well, they're probably looking again for intelligent life. So So when we're talking about building these giant 30-meter telescopes now, people are thinking about, okay, if... Earth clearly has biosignatures in the atmosphere. We can tell that there's non-equilibrium chemistry going on. So how would we detect us from out there? Oh. And let's turn that around. How do we do that with, mm-hmm. with other planets? So that's very much in astronomers and planetary scientists' thought processes. Oh, that's really yeah. fascinating. Yeah. So like, um, like trying to determine us from a different perspective. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. That's a huge area in astrobiology right now is what are the best detectable signatures to give you life, you know, to know that there's life on another planet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one last thing I did want to say since we were, we were talking about our careers and how we got where we are, um, I did want to um, just sort of offer encouragement to anybody who's listening who is, um, you know, trying to figure out what they want to do with their life. Um, it, it took a while for me to, to get where I am. My career path was pretty circuitous, but even in college, it was not necessarily obvious. I said I wanted to be a physics major, and then my very first physics exam, I got a 30% on it. <laughs> yeah. and granted, it was, it was great on a curve, but, like, that was pretty on discouraging. Your physics on my physics exam, yeah. So, I mean, I was saying, you know, math is hard and I got C's and that stuff, but even the stuff I wanted to do and was interested in the physics, I, you know, at the start, I was not particularly good at. And as an undergrad, I, I got better. And then grad school was a whole nother level of, oh my God. <laughs> but, but I did it, you know, eventually it's, and this is where my brother going through his PhD before me helped in his advice to me was it's not the person who's the smartest who's going to succeed. It's the person who can hold their breath the longest. By which you meant just the the endurance and like just keep the marathon, not a sprint. And you know, some people maybe this isn't suited for them, and you know, it's all right to go do something else. I was a classic major; I would have had fun, you know, being an archaeologist if I weren't Mm. an astronomer. But but when I was in college, and I I was I remember being in my friend's lab and seeing the first pictures from the Hubble Space Telescope, (laughs) first clear pictures, and that's when I was like. 
this is what I want to do with my life. Nice. And so I just, <laughs> at that point, I decided I'm going to do this no matter what, whether I get, you know, 30% of my exams, whether, you know, I, I failed classes in grad school and I have to take the, my qualifying exams three times. I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Stubborn. And, yeah. So really, it, <laughs> yeah. it was about being stubborn for me. Some people are naturally brilliant and can, can pull it off. Uh, my grad school roommate was like that. He, you know, didn't even study for his qualifying exams, passed him the first time. Oh, he drove me insane. Oh, wow. But, but for other people, it's, it's a lot harder. But, you know, mm-hmm. if you've got the mindset to do it, like I said, not for everybody, but if, if this mm-hmm. is something you want to do, go for it. Yes. And, and uh, you just got to be yeah. stubborn, just hold your breath longer than anybody else. Yep. I'll add on to the end of that. Absolutely. You know, it's never too late. Uh, I also yeah. didn't know I wanted to be an astronomer until pretty much finishing my my undergraduate degree. Mm. And also don't think it's not for you. You know, I'm first generation to get a degree in my family. Mm. You know, never let your background get in your way. I think yeah. anyone can go totally. and do this. Haley, you want to give it a shout out to how people can find us online? Yeah, totally. Um, we have a Twitter page um, that I uh, irregularly go on and post some cool things. Um, and we also, of course, have our Discord channel. So uh, you guys should definitely check that out. It's nice. And we got a bunch of channels on there for all kinds of different stuff. So um, definitely check us out on there. And of course, as always, if you guys have any questions, go ahead and use the hashtag ask uh, star stuff. So go ahead and uh, send us any questions you guys want us to answer uh, in our next episodes. And then uh, do you guys have anything uh, for people want to reach out to you? An easy way to contact you with sure. their millions of questions I'm they'll on, probably have. I'm on Twitter <laughs> at, at Joe Lama. Um, huh? It's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Yeah, I'm... Nice. Uh, I'm Twitter as well. I don't use it as much, but go through the little website. You can find my contact information, email on there. Well, thanks Mm -hmm. for joining us today, guys. I really appreciate your time and just chatting with us. And yeah, if we get any questions, it's okay if we forward them to you. Absolutely. Okay, wonderful. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Haley. Thank Thank you. you. Yeah, thanks, guys. Bye. This podcast was made possible by our members and donors. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support our nonprofit in making more digital education like this available, go to lowell.edu slash donate. Thanks for listening.